You're listening to Dr. Leslie from Dr. Leslie Inspires, where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Learn more about us by visiting our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. Okay, hello, welcome everyone today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start in prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for this opportunity to come before you one more time, praying that this conversation with our special guest, Miss Stacy, would be all of you and none of us. Give her the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that she needs, oh God, to say what needs to be said in order to inspire, encourage, and empower another mother who may be listening. We just thank you, oh God, for her willingness to come on and share her story. And we ask a special supernatural, uh, we ask for supernatural favor to go before her and after her. And we will just be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So Miss Stacy, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I know when we first talked, you said, well, uh, and I asked you to join me on the podcast, you thought, well, you know, what do I have to talk about? And I will tell you that God has given me wisdom to just recognize powerful and amazing women like yourself. And the funny thing is many women don't see themselves as this, as the, the powerful, amazing woman that they are. And so I see that in you. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you on because I just wanted you to share some things about, you know, your story, your son, uh, some of the things that you're doing now, because I know you, you help people a lot. And I will just share one moment how Stacy and I met. We met through, uh, she met someone who kind of manages the building uh, where the school is. And then we scheduled a little um, morning outing uh, in Clarkston. And we sat and we talked and I just found her to be amazing how she transitioned into uh, Clarkston. But she also referred a student to us. And, you know, she doesn't get paid for any of that. She just takes care of people uh, as God leads her to do it. And she does it with such great joy and it gives her a lot of satisfaction. And I find that to be amazing because she's a selfless, selfless individual. So without further, further ado, I'd like to introduce Miss Stacy. Miss Stacy, how are you this morning? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. And please, it's just Stacy. The boys call me Miss Stacy. <laughs> You're my friend. Sorry. You get to call me. You're just, just Stacy. People tell me that. I'm sorry. I can't lose it. <laughs> so, so just go ahead. tell us a little bit about your story. Let's, let's just start off about how you got to Clarkston, Clarkston, Georgia. 
Well, that is kind of like the culmination of a, a lot of things. Um, we were living overseas in Romania um, and my husband works for the government. So we were stationed at the U.S. Embassy in Bucharest and I had a lot of time. Um, I was volunteering at different NGOs and nonprofits, but um, I read this book called um, Practicing the King's Economy, and it talked about different aspects of, of money, and it talked about Sabbath and just kind of all of those things um, from a biblical perspective. And they, for Sabbath, they talked about that there are a lot of people that just are not able to take Sabbath that they're not able to rest, they're not able to go on vacation because they are just living paycheck to paycheck and even barely doing that. And um, and it talked about a specific community, Clarkston, Georgia, that I, even though we lived in Georgia before, I had no idea where Clarkston was. And um, it talked about a coffee shop here called Refuge Coffee that this couple, um, they had moved to Clarkston to live among the widows, the orphans and the refugees. And, and I was like, so they started this coffee shop to provide a place of community, but where people could just come and sit and just mm. have a moment and have yeah. rest. And, um, and that fascinated me. And we wow. had lived in DC before and had always talked about trying to live in a more diverse area in DC. Cause I was working with a, a nonprofit in Southeast DC at the time. And um, so after reading that, I said, you know, and we found out we were going to be in Atlanta. I said, let me pull that book back off the shelf and see where that city is. And it just yeah. happened to be near Atlanta. And so we decided to live in proximity to um, a very diverse, wonderful, sweet community. And um, so we live in a neighborhood, we live in Clarkston, and we live in a neighborhood that has, um, you know, African-Americans, white Americans and recently um, arrived uh, uh, Ethiopian immigrants, Vietnamese mm -hmm. refugees. We have a little bit of everything in our sweet neighborhood and I love it. And it has been a joy to live here and to be in this community and that they, they accept me as part of this community. <laughs> so it's a, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Um, I, it, every day, I'm just so thankful. Wow. So what did you, what actually drew you to it? What was the like defined uh, scenario that really attracted you to it? Just the fact that. You, I mean, honestly, I think, well, I'm going to be honest no matter what, but the, <laughs> you know, I think that it is, you know, it would be really easy for me to just remain isolated in my own bubble. Mm. And, um, and I, that's not the way that God calls us to live. And, um, and I really wanted to be part of something that was something that I may never experience, you know, and it's not for me. I mean, it's just, I, I feel like I'm supposed to know refugees, you know, and not just know them and know their story, but actually like, be their friend and be in community and where everybody has a seat, you know, everybody gets to come to the table and bring something to the table and mm -hmm. not just be served. And, um, and that is Clarkston. I mean, everybody has so many wonderful gifts and, 
and ways to to teach each other and so it's just a beautiful sweet community and we just really felt led to be here you know to be in proximity to live in proximity to people that may not look like we look may not believe what we believe may not live like we live but we can still be in community together yeah and so you have some uh children or a family that lives a couple doors down from you which is really the driving factor that brought us together you have a family that you have just taken under your wing you were actually at an open house all day yesterday um, helping this family because they don't really speak english you know that there are some barriers there but i i find that that is fascinating that you just feel like I have to go and spend this day to work with them. And I remember one of the things that you said in one of our initial conversations, which was the thing that I have is time. Mm -hmm. And I want to share that time. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Time. You know, I, you know I'm just at a point in my life where, yes, I definitely have time. And I have, you know, I think we all have gifts and we all have resources. And how do we steward those gifts and resources? And mm -hmm. I have time and I, I have the ability, like I've, I've raised a child. I know how to deal with the school system. That is a skill set I have. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I just, well, when we moved in, the very first day, um, we had a knock at the door and there were two of the three boys were at our front door and, um, and they're like, do you have kids? <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, but he's yeah. older. And, um, and so because I had time in the afternoons when they got home from school, they would come over because we still had toys from our son, even though he's a grown up now. Um, and I had the time that they would just come over and play in our house. <laughs> and which was really, which was really kind of sweet to, to have them there. And so we started building a relationship with them and we had met the parents and um, then they asked, hey, can I borrow your computer? I need to do some schoolwork. And that's when the relationship started to get deeper and deeper because I realized that they really did need help with school, um, a, a lot right. of help. And um, especially the, the oldest one, he, he does have some, some issues with dyslexia. And, um, and then getting to know the people that lived in this house before us, they moved to a different state. He was a pastor and was called to move on to a, a, a different congregation. And, um, but that family started explaining to us some of the needs that the boys have academically and, mm -hmm. and just that they had kind of taken these boys under their wing. And so now it just almost seemed like, okay, well, this is what I'm here for. You know, I'm, I have the time and you know, I know how to do school. And so the boys started coming over more. I became their advocate at school. Um, oh. And then, um, so every afternoon, except for Friday afternoons, they were here in our house from the time school got out until about the time my husband came home for dinner. And Wednesday nights, they just stayed for dinner. That was just dinner with us. <laughs> and, wow. and, the, and then um, the boys, um, when COVID hit 
in March 2020, I remember them coming home and saying, hey, we're not going to be in school next week or for the next two weeks. And um, we made the decision. I mean, it really wasn't, we didn't even really pray about it, <laughs> you know, just because it seemed like a natural thing to do that they came in and we had them around our table doing school for the remainder of the spring and wow. then to begin the fall. And because I had the time and that was a, a gift I, I could give them. And it's something that I could use to benefit my neighbor and to love my neighbor well. And these really are my neighbors. You know, I mean, I, I take it seriously. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. And, yeah. and that's what it's supposed to be. So. Wow. Wow. Let me ask, did your husband, are you two on the same page with this? Is he ever like, okay, those boys are over here just way too much. Or <laughs> did you ever have a conflict with your quote unquote time and how it was spent? You know, my husband is very protective of me and, um, and he would just want to make sure that I was taking care of myself and that I wasn't getting overextended. And um, especially, well, there were some afternoons, I mean, because we're now used to kind of a quiet house. Um, th there were some afternoons, the boys would just be like running around and he would come so home. Home, fully at home now. Yeah. <laughs> and John was kind of like, whoa, what is this? And um, so, but once, I mean, John, John went to work that next week after COVID, you know, the day that everything shut down. And then John went into work on that Monday. And I remember calling him and, you know, we only had like an old laptop and my laptop. And I was just like, John, I'm totally stressed. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I can't, I don't know how to yeah. do any of this. And he was like, you know what, during lunch, I'm going to go to Walmart. And John went and bought two Chromebooks. And um, so John has been very, very supportive. And then his work um, became remote. And so for the rest of the spring and the first part of the fall until he went back to work, he, um, he kind of took care of the little one. And because I had the two big ones and he he took care of the little one and made sure that as long as he wasn't in a meeting or something, he was my, my backup. So, well, so I mean, you're the, teacher. yeah, <laughs> you're so, teacher. so I mean, there were times where I mean, he was very protective of me, just making sure, and that's why we didn't do it much past the like October because it was starting to, to be a lot, but we were still involved. Um, and, yeah. and we also didn't want to steal that responsibility from the parents. Um, so I mean, there's that whole balance of how much is too much help and so I tried to equip the parents with hey this yeah. I even had them come in sit around the table kind of see how we did things because it was a lot for the ref refugee and immigrant community and um, right. last year was hard and so our, our little community here has been hit hard and I, I know it's not the only community that's been hit hard I mean there was a whole socioeconomic kind of mm -hmm. devastation that happened last year especially among school-age kids yeah. You know, you made some very important points. The um, not trying to take on the responsibility or steal that responsibility from the parents. And it's a, a bittersweet conversation, if you will, mm -hmm. because that's what we talk about really in terms of enabling uh, our sons. 
And mm -hmm. that's almost a form of enabling, you know, the parents from taking on their responsibility. But then when you give the responsibility, you know, the ball may or may not get dropped still because of, you know, they're accustomed to you doing and also they don't know how and they don't necessarily have the resources uh, to, you know, push the children like they need to, especially as the children get older, because there's that language barrier. Mm -hmm. A lot of their children know how to speak English as well as the language that they actually speak. Um, and so you've kind of found a way uh, around all of that. To me, you were truly, truly a godsend in the truest sense of the word. And then I find out recently that you have the nerve to be leaving Clarkson. I can't even Wait, believe it. And I'm actually really thinking about that family. I mean, I know the family before you all helped to take care of them somehow. And I think maybe it's something about that house <laughs> <laughs> that draws them to the, house, the, the people in the house. But I think it's going to be sad for a lot of people that you all are leaving. Yeah, we are sad. And, um, but I, I do have that our neighbor next door also, they had to move back to Texas to be closer to family. And there is an educator that is living in that house who is already acting as an advocate for a lot of the refugees and immigrants in the community. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, well, God, you just kind of took care of that. And um, so, yeah. Uh, I'm already, you know, introducing the families and getting her up to speed on everything that's going on. And so my goal is to, to get them straight with school this year. And, you know, I've, which yesterday we had dad and myself and two of the boys had lots of FaceTime at the schools and, mm -hmm. and then I'll get her involved as we move forward, just because you know, God has really watched out for those boys in that family. And, yeah. and you've just, I just wonder what God has in store for them. Um, just because it is, it's amazing. And, you know, and, and we're praying for who's going to be buying our house and um, that they will be, I mean, we're, we just want them to be committed to Clarkston and not just buying in Clarkston because it's a good price or whatever. I mean, I, uh, we're we're trying to. I told someone. I said it's like I'm trying to do controlled gentrification. Of right. The, of, yeah. I'm like, not that I can live by the Holy Spirit. Still, you know, <laughs> that's the desires that God put in. He puts in our hearts. Yeah. That's amazing so, because not too many people really think that way. You know what I mean? In terms of, I hope whoever buys this house is fair to the, the people in Clarkston. I hope they are not just moving here. You know, the words that you just said, just because it's a good deal on the house or because they, for whatever reason, it should not be anything other than they want to help to serve the people here. That's what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. But it sounds to me like God does have a plan because the people who were there before you were kind of committed to Clarkston, so to speak, or the, the people there, or at least the neighbors anyway. And I think about when we talk about mothers and sons and when we talk about the sons and the plight that sons are dealing with nowadays, you all have really been that advocate for these young boys. I mean, that's a family of three. So they 
have not had the opportunity to get lost in the cracks and not yet. And we mm -hmm. pray that God will continue to cover them because a lot of young men don't have that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm talking white, black, you know, what, whatever, you know, the case is they, you know, we're growing up now in a time where parents don't want other people telling their children what to do, or they don't necessarily seek out or want the help that is, is really needed. And so I think it's really a godsend. And I, I think what you said is correct in terms of what, asking the question, what does God have mm -hmm. for those young men? And I think he has given you a special anointing as well, you know, giving you a heart for people, you know, and he's giving you the right husband <laughs> to make sure that all of those things uh, are nurtured, you know, in that way. And it may sound like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I look at people that way. I mean, this is, this thing called life is very serious. You know, we are given uh, people, mm -hmm. God puts people in our path. And there's something, when we meet people, we have to think, what is it God wants me to give to this person? It's not always receive. What does God want me to give to this person? And if each person actually has that, has that mindset when they meet, then everybody is not only giving, but everybody is also receiving. You know, mm -hmm. I'm receiving joy from your smile. I'm receiving joy from your kindness. It's not always something that's tangible, you know? And women, we kind of get joy out of things, you know, that way, just the feeling of satisfaction to be able to, to help someone. So then that that's takes good. me to your biological son. And uh, I know that we had the conversation about you homeschooling him because we were just the recipients. When you talk about giving, we were the recipient of you finally just cleaning some things out and passing them on to the school so that we can use them. And so we thank you once again for that. But um, just tell us a little bit about your homeschool experience um, with your son. You know, we, um, and, and you know, he's 23 and we stopped homeschooling when he was 14. So you would think that I would have been able to get rid of things before. Right. In addition to the toys that are still in your living room. <laughs> exactly. So we, um, we made the decision to homeschool when he was um, before kindergarten um, because he was never a napper. And I know that that sounds like a really practical thing, but I just envisioned him being in pre-K or kindergarten and they have their little time on the mat and they take their naps. And every day they would, the teacher would be calling me going, Mrs. Julian, John Charles got in trouble again. <laughs> so, um, so, for, so really, I, I, and I know that sounds really funny, but that was like one of my motivating factors for homeschooling. Yeah. Plus, plus, I just felt like I could, I could do that. And at that point, you know, we, we kind of figured that we were only going to be able to have one child. And I wanted to enjoy all, you know, every moment that I could, because I just loved being a mom. And, um, and I still love being a mom to an adult child. It's just so different. <laughs> and, um, and it worked out nicely because my husband, we were living in North Carolina where we both are from and 
we, John had started a career with the government and we were going to be moving and we were going to be moving a lot. And um, so it provided consistency for our family and mm -hmm. also gave us the freedom to explore, to um, go on off seasons. We lived in El Paso for three years and we were able, you know, to explore the desert and the Southwest and, you know, That's let good. him be exposed to, I mean, we lived within a different culture in El Paso, which was really a, a wonderful thing to be able to expose John Charles to. And he did scouts and PE classes with other homeschool kids. And there it wasn't just, you know, it was a pretty diverse homeschool group and um, which was wonderful. And, um, but, you know, we've, that's the reason we've homeschooled, consistency, opportunities. And um, I, I tried to think it was not about like keeping him away from people or certain ideas or things. It was more so that I could just enjoy him and, and teach him the things I wanted to teach him. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and actually that is why a lot of people homeschool, they homeschool either because there's a challenge that's going on at the school. They can't control <clears throat> the area in which, you know, the school, uh, the, the school that the child is going to attend, something going on with the teacher, um, or they just know their child and they know that that environment is not going to be conducive to their learning style. And all of that is okay. And so the other part is you can control more of what goes into your child from a biblical standpoint, from an environmental standpoint. You know, at some point, you know, in our best efforts to protect them from the outside world, you know, it gets in somehow. But the key is what have we, what foundation have we built with them at home? And so sometimes people think, oh, they're homeschooling because they think their child is better and they don't want them around. But no, um, our school, for example, Solid Foundation, when we initially started, it was solid foundation homeschool study program. Mm. Because after coming from the school system, <clears throat> I wanted more diversity for mm. our children. I wanted the environment, a clean environment for our kids to thrive. And when I say our kids, I mean every child that came. I didn't want them to feel like they were going to school. I wanted them to feel like they were learning without the you better learn this and you need to do this. I wanted them to be comfortable with learning. And so we still have that same concept, um, but it's no, we don't have the name, but we still have that same concept. And it gives us the freedom to, to do and to teach them and to accept them, you know, wherever they are uh, in life, because some people's uh, parachute per se opens faster and some people's parachute opens very slow, but nevertheless, they have some gifts, you know? So I think that was really, really wonderful um, that you had that type of insight and the, uh, the stability and the flexibility in your schedule and the desire <laughs> to do that because it, it can be tough on people. Some people, they just, don't want to do it. And then some people do what they call unschooling. You know, they just let the child learn at home just by being at home. Yeah. But there's not necessarily any structure 
you know, to what they're doing. And so, you know, to each his own, you know, but that's commendable. I like structure. (laughs) It it fits me. (laughs) Yes. So um, in terms, as we prepare to close, um, what, what were the benefits of the homeschooling that now as an adult you have found um, in terms of raising your son as you look at him and you say to yourself, I'm a proud mom for being able to do that. I like the way this turned out or maybe I should have or, you know, we all, none of us are perfect and there's no perfect child, there's no perfect mom, but what are some of the things that you are really proud of? And maybe what are some of the things that you may have done differently with your son? You know, I'll start with the differently, you know, the things, you know, when he transitioned to high school, I probably wish that he had gone to middle school one year and had a a bigger friend base um, just because he, he struggled for a couple of years and um, just with being like the different kid. And, and that was not his fault. It was, you know, sometimes children are just not nice. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and he experienced some, some bullying issues and, and that was really hard on him. It was hard on us as a family. And um, now that doesn't happen to all homeschoolers. You know, that's just the thing that, you know, the one thing it's like, what could I have done differently? And I, I never think, I never think, oh, I should have just kept him in homeschool, you know, and protected him, you know, because now he, now he knows you know, how to handle situations and that things do not last forever. Even in the middle yeah. of it, if you feel like this is never going to end, you know, it's going to end. And he's yeah. also, I, I believe he learned how to ask for help and, you know, and mm-hmm. what an important lesson to learn. I mean, we all need mm-hmm. help. And yeah. um, the things that I'm so proud of him about, um, you know, he is a, a, a quirky, fun, intelligent young man <laughs> you know okay. he is art, he is artistic um and and creative and to see those things that he did younger that he's still doing yeah. those things as an adult and um and writing he has his MBA and is working at FedEx in Memphis as a financial analyst and he has this amazing yeah. job and um but he's still um, able to to write and do some fun things that he kind of did when he was younger, kind of went away from it a little bit. And now he's doing it again. I'm so proud of that. And so happy for him. And he, he has a curiosity and, um, and he knows how to learn. And I think that is like the biggest, one of the, Mm. the bigger things is like, once we were in seventh and eighth grade, Um, you know, I pretty much managed homeschool and made sure he understood math and all of that. But um, I let him kind of teach himself science, you know, Mm -hmm. like I did the overview and I would review, but he was responsible for, for reading it, taking notes, learning. And I think because of that, he was a better student um, throughout high school and college and MBA. And he just knows how to learn. And if you know how to learn, it doesn't matter if you have a college degree or whatever. I mean, if you know how to learn, you can figure out life. And um, that's right. And also, yeah. And also, he's a, he's a kind kid. 
And, um, and I love him. I'm very proud of him. You know, he may not always make the decisions that I want him to make, but you know, he makes good decisions yeah. and, um, and they're his and learning how to let them be his is a, that's the hard part for mom, but that was know, my next question. Thank you for yeah. answering that. <laughs> yeah. That's the hard part for mom, but you know, I, I have, I feel like we still should have expectations of our adult children. Yes. But not too many expect like we we cannot have micromanaging expectations, you know, mm-hmm. because if we do, then it's going to be like our feelings are going to get hurt every five minutes, you know, mm. or or we're going to be disappointed. And, you know, my expectations for him, I have one very specific one is that once a year I want him to come visit his grandparents, period. Mm. <laughs> that is like the one thing I expect him to do and you know and I expect him to you know answer texts when he's not busy and things like that but I don't like oh he hasn't you know called this week or something like that it's okay he's busy he's an adult he's working a full-time job and some weeks working crazy hours and so as long as I keep my expectations realistic and you know that we're going to have such a better relationship as a mom of an adult child <laughs> and he's not a child hey, an man. adult young man so yeah yeah that's really good that you have set those expectations for yourself and have made them manageable because a lot of mothers like stress themselves out trying to control the situation and when things cannot be controlled because their son is not doing what he wants them to do, even as an adult, uh, it stresses them out. And the thing that you just said, they're not allowing him to fail. They're not, they're not allowing him to learn those lessons, even as an adult. So you made some very, very good points there. Thank you so much. Well, sometimes it's hard to walk in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What do you do when it gets hard? Do you like just walk away? Do you just like, don't pick up the phone? You just try your best not to say anything. How do you handle those hard situations? Because we all have them. You know, I'm not going to say I always handle them perfectly, (laughs) but when I, when I do handle them well, I just, I just don't say anything. You know, I just, I will talk to my husband about it later, but I think it's, I'm choosing to keep the relationship with my son a priority. Mm -hmm. And, um, and letting it be a healthy relationship for both of us. And, um, and I, you know, am I perfect at it? Oh, no. And, and he'll let me know when I'm not. And then that's that's when I get like, "Mm." (laughs) you know, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so, and then what about your husband? Does your husband say, okay, Stacey, that's no, no, we, you know, yeah, John is good about later on saying, you know, maybe you should have handled it this way. But then, you know what? I don't text our son every day. John does. And oh. um, so I'm just like, where's the balance here? And, uh, but, but you know what? They have, a, they have such a great relationship and I don't ever want to discourage John. And so yeah. as long as John Charles is fine with that with his dad I I just as the mom I'm trying to give him space Mm -hmm. and um because you know what someday he is going to have 
a wife and, and I want him to have that. I want her to have that place in his life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that yeah. does not, that does not threaten me because I'm going to love her so much. And, mm-hmm. and I, I want them to have a healthy, wonderful relationship without an interfering mom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. um, so I just, I want it, you know, I prioritize my relationship with him. Amen. And you know what? I have heard there's a certain point where the father son relationships, there's a bond that's there that the son needs in order mm-hmm. for him to grow. And so that's really commendable of you to allow that relationship with them to flourish because believe it or not, a lot of women do not. They do feel threatened, not necessarily by the woman, her too, but the father or the husband as well. And mm-hmm. so that's when there's also another problem that's there between the mother and the son and the son and the father. The son can't grow the way he needs to because the mother is constantly hindering that relationship because she does feel threatened and she doesn't necessarily understand the power of that father-son relationship. The son, he needs it. He Mm -hmm. needs it in order to grow the way that he needs to. Mm -hmm. So Miss Stacy, you are absolutely amazing. You have dropped some very good nuggets that I believe uh, some of our mothers can uh, grab and hold on to and learn from. So before we close, is there anything else you wanted to just add to the conversation or some tips? I know you just did, but and then I said something else, but anything else? You know, in thinking and preparing for this conversation, you know, I, I was a little nervous, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think just in, in life, and I think you, you talked about this as when you encounter people, you know, look at them as, you know, what can I give this person? And, um, and I think that is just such a key in life is having an open posture toward mm. everybody. And, um, and I think it's also very important to make sure that you are engaging with people that are not always in your comfort circle, you know, your comfort zone. And, um, because that's how we grow. And you know what, the kingdom is amazingly beautiful and diverse and, you know, and I'm, I'm just, and I I love the image of a, a table and, and having those boys around our table you know, mm. and, and they have brought me so much, so many gifts, you know, just with loving them. Sorry. <laughs> we talked about this earlier. I have lots of emotions <laughs> right now, <laughs> you know, um, so, but also I appreciate you so much and, and the work that you do. Yeah. And thank you for taking care of my oldest boy next door and maybe taking care of the the youngest soon and um and i appreciate what you do and the voice that you have in 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 his life and in the life of the students at your school and i so thank you for what you do thank you for bringing him thank you for bringing him we're part of that path we were part of the path that you were on and so now we're taking the baton so Thank you so much, Miss Stacy, and we look forward to speaking with you. And we pray much success for you and your family as you transition into the next phase. Okay, so I'm going to close out in prayer real quick. 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for just giving Miss Stacy the heart to come on and tell her story. We thank you, God, in advance for the women who have been set free and delivered by just a rhema word that she has spoken on today. We pray, God, that you would continue to guide her footsteps because her footsteps are ordered by you. And so we just thank you in advance for the rest of the work that she and her husband has to do in the next phase, in the next move of their life. And we just thank you, oh God, for all things. And we will be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Stacy. Thank you so much, Dr. Leslie. Thank yes, you for I'm having sure. me. Thank uh -huh. you bye bye. Yes, bye bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesleyinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.